Hi everybody, this is Nisha from NLS Law. We hope you enjoyed our last podcast. Um, here's our second podcast and it's talking about mediation and property matters. So we thought it would be really beneficial for everybody out there to hear a bit more about um, mediation, how that's working in the current climate with coronavirus. So we're going to hear from Julie Carney from JK Resolutions. She's going to talk to us a bit about how mediations are working um, and how people can resolve their matters at mediation. We also thought it would be really important um, for people to know a bit more about property matters. That's right, Jess, because a lot of people at the moment are at home, they're unable to work, um, separated families aren't sure how to resolve their property matters. So we thought it was important to give everyone some tips. Absolutely. It's a really stressful time for families out there in particular. So we're going to hear from Ian Dwayne about some ways in which we can um, get property matters started for people um, and also ways in which I guess the current climate um, is impacting on financial matters. Because even though it's a really challenging time, there's lots of things that we can still do even from our home. You know, we have all this technology that we can use. So let's take this challenging time and have can-do attitude. Absolutely. That's really important. And I think Think we'll hear from well both Ian and Julie actually um, everyone in this sphere has adopted a can-do attitude solicitors barristers the courts and the accountants conveyances real estate agents everyone's trying to keep things going so we can work towards resolution um, for our clients absolutely and that's one of the most important things um, that we do here is we're all about trying to get clients a resolution um, that they're happy with and that they can live with. So we hope we, you enjoy our podcast. The first speaker is Julie Carney and she'll be talking about mediation. Thank you, Julie, for um, speaking with us on our second podcast with NLS Law. And today I understand you're going to speak about mediation. Can you just let anyone know who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, thanks, Nisha, for inviting me into your podcast world. I'm very excited. Um, my name's Julie Carney. I am a family law practitioner going back some 25 years. And my different stages in life have been 10 years as an accredited specialist in family law. Then I spent 10 years as a registrar with the Federal Circuit Court and the Family Court here in Newcastle. And finally, um, I'm now in my fifth year as a barrister. So that's the um, broad brush background. But importantly for our discussion today, I'm also an accredited or nationally accredited mediator and family dispute resolution practitioner. And Julie, mediation is something that you really believe in. I mean, to go from being an accredited specialist to a registrar then a, and you still practice as a barrister, but to do mediation must be something that you think is really important um, for parties to get on board with. I do, and it's something that the Family Law Act and the Commonwealth Parliaments strongly support. So mediation or, in fact, any sort of alternative dispute resolution process enables people who are in dispute. So Julie, given everything um, that's currently going on with the coronavirus, um, is mediation particularly important for parties that are going through a family law dispute at the moment? Jess, I think it's really important because we're all feeling a sense of lack of control and mediation is a way for parties and parents in particular 
to regain some control over their situation and their life. So um, COVID-19 has really shaken us all up in terms of what we thought was the normal is no longer the normal. And we don't know when we're going back to the normal. Whereas if you are in a dispute, it becomes even more difficult because the courts are trying to navigate their way to some sort of normal and it's changing all the time. So mediation, it's the same practice it's always been. The forum can change because we now do a lot of mediations remotely by phone or video link. But it's the same principles. The parties have control over their dispute and it's the parties who can reach the agreement. If they choose not to settle their matter, that's, that's for them to decide. But they keep control of the whole situation and process. Julie, it's just Nisha here. Like we um, find that mediation really helps our clients try and have a sense of ownership of an outcome, and you know they take some responsibility for what's going to happen, whether it be a property matter or a children's matter, um, or even in the civil dispute. We find that it gives people more of an opportunity to see that they're um, taking some control of their decisions and. Um, Chanel Hughes, who um, is our child and family consultant, has prepared in our newsletter um, preparing for mediation and some practical tips. Uh, do you think it's really important that before parties come to mediation that they are prepared and if, if they are represented by a lawyer that they have time to sit down and prepare their case for mediation with the lawyer? And can you give some ideas and tips on how that's best to be taken undertaken? Sure. Uh, what I would say is this. Most mediators, um, particularly family dispute resolution practitioners, are engaging in intake processes with the clients so that before they come to mediation, they're prepared on how the process is going to run and what it's going to look like. And um, whether it's a lawyer presenting an opening statement or a party doing it, opening statements need to be prepared beforehand. You need to know why you're coming to mediation, what issues you want to discuss, and in the background of that, what your best alternate to a negotiated agreement or BATNA is and what your worst case is. So you need to have the high and the low positions so that when you come into a mediation and you're in the middle of trying to negotiate a settlement, well, you know what your worst case and your best case looks like and it really helps parties if they're prepared with at least those two options because generally speaking, negotiated settlements will fall somewhere between those two prospects. And a really big difference for um, clients who participate in mediation from our perspective is it's, it's not like going to a courtroom and it's not um, having someone who decides for you what's to happen on something that's important for you. Um, can you explain a little bit about how that is for um, parties? Yeah, so in terms of process, and every mediator will have their own um, I guess, tweaking of this, but essentially mediation start off with the mediator giving an opening statement and that just sets out the process for the, the period of time being set aside for the mediation so that everyone knows straight up what's going on. And if you've had a, um, an intake session beforehand, you already know that process. Then the parties get an opportunity to give their own opening statements and, and I certainly prefer parties and not lawyers to do that because... We're there to resolve their dispute and whilst their lawyers can be terrific advocates in a courtroom, I really want to hear from the parties what brings them to mediation, what are the issues that are important to them. 
Uh, the mediator will then look at where there's common ground between parties and for a lot of parties that'll be on the issue of costs. So people don't want to um, keep paying to go back to court or they don't want to start a court process. They'd rather try and resolve it without um, having to go through that. Then we'll set an agenda uh, that is explored throughout the, the mediation process and options will be generated from that, which is really um, just brainstorming for the parties. And then there's a break so parties can talk to their lawyers if they have one and come up with uh, an offer to settle. And so then the rest of the mediation is really just letting the parties um, talk to each other or through their solicitors about what they would like to see as a, as a resolution of their matter. And, and the role of the mediator in all of that process is to facilitate those discussions. Now, one of the things that mediators can offer is what's called um, evaluative mediation, which is where they give a view about what they think could happen if they can't resolve their matter. So depending on the mediator that you have and whether that person has the specialised knowledge to give that sort of an opinion, um, parties can actually ask for a mediator's view. So um, when parties hear that, that different view that's come from the, from the mediator, it's really just a second opinion and they can take that on board, they can um, consider whether or not that's going to help them perhaps change their position to see if they can resolve their dispute or not. But importantly, that view is not a judge making a decision for them. So that's one of the big differences between litigation and mediation. So Julie, at a mediation, what would you consider the role of a lawyer to be? So if, if uh, we went along and assisted a client at a mediation, what is our purpose or what is our role? Uh, the lawyer's role is to prepare the client for the mediation because clients will be very anxious and they want someone there that they can trust. So that's the, from my perspective, that's the best role the lawyer can play is to be that person who the client can trust. And part of that role means that the lawyer needs to be aware not only of the facts of their client's case, but also the weaknesses in their client's case and the law and what the law might say about those facts and those weaknesses. And to give a really um, reasoned opinion about what might happen if they can't resolve their dispute. So from my perspective, the, the lawyer comes along, they're very calm. They're somebody that they have built a good relationship with their client. They're aware of the pros and cons of their client's case and the case law and the legislation that supports or would go against what their client's position might be. And it's really important um, for clients to have, you know, their say and not the lawyers speak for them. If they're able to talk, it's really important for the, for the client to be able to share what they're thinking and what they think works so a lawyer doesn't overtake that process. Absolutely. So, so that, that has two aspects to it. I always say to um, people who come to mediation, to the parties, if you walk out of the mediation and feel like you haven't been heard, then I've failed because at least I can be the person who you're talking to who can hear you. Sometimes you won't ever get the other person on the at the table to hear you, but at least if, if you feel like you've been heard by me, it makes a huge difference to the client's perspective on the mediation and frankly if you've got a good mediator and the lawyers have recommended the mediator the clients walk away thinking their lawyer 
knows what they're talking about because they've picked this really good mediator who listened to everything I had to say and really understood where I was coming from. Um, the second part of that is that when a mediation is 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 being conducted, it's important that the lawyers don't step in and start cross-examining each other's witnesses because that's how they treat it. They treated them as witnesses rather than parties. So the lawyers in, in, the, in joint sessions where everybody's present, it's, it's important for the lawyers to be able to sit back and just listen to what the other side might be saying because they'll be able to perhaps get a better understanding of what might be able to be settled as opposed to the dispute being um, progressed. And the other side of that is that the lawyers should also be there to prompt their clients if they know there's an issue that the client really wanted to talk about and they've been caught up in the heat of the moment and haven't said it, that the lawyer can just prompt the client or just say, look, I understand there's this other issue as well and just um, provide that feedback for the mediation process. And I find it really um, beneficial um, for our clients when they go to a mediation that they can walk away feeling like they've been, well, knowing that they've been heard and also that there's an outcome that they can live with because they've been part of the decision-making process. Do you think that's a really important element to mediation that you can't have in a court hearing? Absolutely. Um, The research shows that if you have a negotiated settlement, the chances of that settlement actually lasting, particularly for children and having great benefit for children because there's no more parental conflict around them, are massive. As opposed to a a court-imposed outcome, which neither party may actually be really happy with, but they have to do it because that's what the judge said to do. And Julie, talking about children, there's um, some exciting moves in mediation to involve um, child consultants um, in parenting matters in a mediation process. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that would work? Because I think people in general think that a child doesn't necessarily have a voice except um, except for the parents or if there's an independent children's lawyer involved. But where there is no court proceedings or an independent children's lawyer involved, how does that work? for a child consultant and um, and how do you think that that will go in resolving parenting matters? I see that there's real potential for growth in that area with the use of child consultants. Family dispute resolution processes enable a child consultant to interview the children who are involved in the dispute, to explore with the children in a safe environment where they've got a trusted relationship with the consultant. What their fears and anxieties are about what's happening for them in each of their homes and um, where it's appropriate to give a view about what they'd like to see change. It only works if, if everybody is confident that the parents will take on board what the children are saying and not disregard it. If you don't have that understanding and open-mindedness between the parents then it's not a process that should be recommended. But where you've got parents who are really sympathetic to the the fact that their children are hurting and they just want to make it better but they they just can't find a way around their own personal conflict to make it better for their kids, then a child consultant can very um, discreetly come in, talk to the children, that session ends, and that might have happened a week before the actual mediation occurs, But the child consultant then comes along to the mediation and sits in on the mediation 
with the mediator and the parents and if they have lawyers, their lawyers as well and just explains to the parents, this is what your children said to me, this is what's important to them and this is what they'd like to see made better. So it can be a really powerful way for the child's voice to be heard in the first person as opposed to what the kids might have said to each of their parents outside of the mediation process and then neither parent trusts that that's actually what really happened. They're getting it from a child consultant who's qualified to get information and express that information empathetically to the parents without causing any more conflict for the children. Well, Julie, that just sounds like a really exciting move for mediation because currently I'm an independent children's lawyer and there's only a small amount of cases that are in court that have independent children's lawyers. But this opens up um, for anyone out there who's having a parenting dispute to involve a child consultant to help them hear and resolve the very important issues of parenting. So I'm really pleased that that's something that you're considering in your mediation. Um, and just quickly before we finish, have you got any, um, a couple of tips um, for people who are listening about the mediation process that could help them get ready for it? Um, what I would say is, again, look at what your best alternate to a negotiated agreement is. Look at what your worst alternative to a negotiated agreement is, so your BATNA and your WATNA. Come into the mediation with an open mind and be prepared to just sit and listen to what the other person has to say because even if you don't agree with what they're saying, it might be the first time they've ever felt that you actually sat down and just listened to what their concerns are and it can make such a huge difference to um, the resolution of a matter if the other person for the first time might think, wow, they actually are listening. They're not interrupting. They're not shouting. They're not walking away. They're listening to me. And it can just change in a split second the whole atmosphere in the room and all of a sudden you don't have parents at war anymore. They're actually trying to make peace. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Julie. I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of people out there who are a little bit more familiar with the mediation process and um, are very appreciative of your insight. We're looking forward to um, having another podcast with you because you're also an arbitrator, which is a very different take on mediation. So in the future, um, we're hoping that everyone can stay tuned for our session on arbitration. But Julie, your business, JK Resolution, is something that is easily found on the web and people can book in directly um, through a calendar system that you have set up on your website. Is that correct? That's right. And um, there's certainly I, I'm happy to run mediations or family dispute resolution processes with or without solicitors being present. It's entirely up to clients and solicitors what level of engagement they want from their, their legal team. Well, thank you so much, Julie, because it's just fantastic to have um, you both as a practitioner and as a, um, a practitioner in mediation that can assist so many of the people that we try and help. Thank you for the opportunity. So we've got Ian Duane who's chatting to us on our podcast today. Thanks for chatting, Ian. Could you tell our listeners out there a bit about um, some of the work that you do? Oh, hi, Jess. Uh, thanks for having me uh, today. Um, I'm, I'm a barrister at Newcastle Chambers um, and I mainly do family law work, um, running trials, doing 
alternative dispute resolution, mediations and, and the like, primarily in relation to um, family law. Um, so in the context of COVID-19, um, things are um, having to be done a little differently. So Ian, I think we've all heard a lot about um, COVID-19 lately. How has that impacted some of the work that you've been doing? Uh, well, obviously, there's a greater emphasis on technology, so we're not having uh, uh, face-to-face meetings in person. They're done by way of video link. Uh, alternatively, there's telephone uh, use of telephones. Uh, so in terms of court work, uh, trials are now being conducted. The courts uh, embrace the technology. In, in terms of actual trial work, Multiple day trials um, have uh, been conducted by way of Microsoft Teams, and um, I found that technology to be surprisingly effective. Obviously, there is a little clunkiness about using video software with people appearing in different locations. However, cooperative preparation uh, can make a reasonably smooth run running trial possible. Uh, so the courts are getting the idea that it possible to dispense justice with technology Um, and obviously alternative dispute resolution is following the same format albeit using slightly different technology. So uh, whilst the courts are using Microsoft Teams, the informal settlement conferences, mediations and arbitrations are also using Zoom uh, as a mechanism for conducting arbitrations. Do a lot of uh, property matters assisting clients in court and at alternative dispute resolution conferences. I guess what what are some of the implications for financial matters um, during these times of the coronavirus? Uh, well, that's a, a good question. They're they're profound. Like the implications more generally, uh, we're headed it seems into a recession. We've had this dream time era of. Uh, gains being routinely shared in uh, property proceedings and we're now entering a, a phase where losses will now be the norm and protecting against the size of losses, including through legal costs, is all the more important. So I certainly think it's, a, it's an era where competent legal representation, uh, which is decisive, effective, proportional and timely, will be particular value um, to dispute resolution. See, Ian, you're really, um, you know, you spoke a moment ago about, you know, let's get things moving and having a can-do attitude. And even though this time is challenging because we have, you know, the property market being affected, people have to stay home, there's less opportunity for conferences face-to-face, there's lots of things that you can do in order to prepare your property case, to seek advice and, and to start trying to negotiate an outcome that's positive for you, isn't there? Well, I completely agree. Um, obviously, some of the implications for property cases are uh, the impact on valuations. So what valuations will be used when doing calculations, whether in a court process or a settlement process? And COVID has had massive implications for valuations of businesses, including huge businesses. So. The average family business, big or small, may uh, have positive or more likely negative implications for its valuation and indeed viability. So the things that that can be done, obviously, one needs to ensure that valuations are conducted in a way that 
uh, allows for the valuer to take into account the impact of COVID-19. So for businesses that would mean doing valuations post 30th June 2020, well, at least post, let's say, February, March 2020, and that would deal with uh, businesses and their structures, trusts and companies. And similarly with real estate, which relies heavily on comparable sales as well as market conditions, perhaps a later valuation rather than an earlier one uh, might assist. I'm obviously talking here of using all precise valuation as a basis for discussions. It's entirely possible and appropriate for parties to adopt agreed values. Uh, So certainly with valuations, uh, there's lots to be done to get on with dealing with the impact of COVID-19. Secondly, in terms of uh, drafting agreements, uh, there's quite a lot to be done to recognise the reality that the implementation of separating financial affairs will need to be different in terms of agreements and orders in terms of court orders. So sale provisions in particular will need to be carefully considered in a slow market so as to achieve as far as possible a prompt sale for fair market value. And they're really the big implications, I think, for property matters that I wanted to raise. So, Ian, obviously the COVID-19 has, I guess, impacted the way that we're doing things, but are there some benefits to it in relation to parties getting their matters resolved? Well, uh, I I think there's some surprise benefits. Perhaps the restrictions that are inherent with technology require people to engage in more focus and less gameplay so that we get on with getting the transaction through, which is ultimately what most people want. There are a small number of people who don't. Uh, But in some respects, it may make some particularly financial matters more easy to resolve because there is already a great deal of financial loss and the impact of legal costs, etc., doesn't need to be added to that picture. So, I mean, that's right, because it's really stressful for families and individuals at the moment and you know, they're finding themselves in circumstances they would never have dreamed of. And the financial pressure on people is extraordinary. So trying to resolve their property matters where they've separated, we need to sort of focus on that in a more expedient way that's less cost effective than what we probably have in the past. There's no doubt that proportionality has always been important. However, I suspect that focusing on losses rather than gains uh, should allow people to be more uh, practical and and proportional about the way that they conduct their family law litigation. It's a, an area of high emotion, but ultimately the property work is about money or things. That work has implications for people's happiness. So being able to get the transaction through in a way that minimises losses is going to be particularly important in the years ahead. Have you got any tips for people that might be, um, I guess, starting out in this field, looking to resolve their property matters at the moment, Ian? Well, uh, obviously, some of the tips would be to really start thinking about what ways one can salvage from the losses and how long do they want to be suspended in proceedings. So, for real focus and a, an understanding that a property 
resolution, there are mutual benefits. Each of the parties has a great interest in a prompt and fair resolution of their property dispute. So it's that understanding that the expenses, etc., have been doubled by virtue of the separation. There are often children involved. I, th- I think really just that motivation to get things done and get them done this week rather than next week. Because there is a concern that, you know, the longer we delay trying to resolve the property um, situation for families, the more difficult it actually could come because we're going to see um, maybe even more dire straits for people financially um, the longer that this COVID continues. There's no doubt about that. And I think the, the other thing reflecting on the question that Jess asked is that alternative dispute resolution, which is informal settlement negotiations, whether they're through some letters or a conference of some type or mediations which are a more structured form of settlement conference or arbitrations are most definitely the way forward. You can get a much earlier date for the resolution of the dispute. So so as soon as everybody's ready to go with enough information to conduct some negotiations, you don't have to have certainty There can be question marks on some valuations if the parties are prepared to proceed on that basis. So certainly alternative dispute resolution was already the path forward rather than litigation in courts and it remains more so the path forward that I would recommend. And uh, then the, you know, there's... The law talks about having a fair and equitable resolution for parties in property matters. And so it's important, don't you think, that when either as a lawyer or barrister or as as a client, that we think about how we can come to a fair resolution that we can walk away from or our client can walk away from and live with? There's no doubt about that. And it's not just result-oriented. It's also the sense of being heard. So many clients don't assume that they will be successful on every point, but they do wish a process whereby their point of view is heard and taken into account. And beyond that, a lot of people are looking for a resolution. So in terms of that, Anne, what what do you um, think that the first point of call is for someone who is at home today listening thinking, I really want to sort out my property matters. What is the first thing I need to do? You know, where do they, how, how do they start the process? Well, I think uh, ordering your affairs at home so that you use your legal resources efficiently, conducting yourself in a, in a way that you'd be proud of later on down the track, that is biting your tongue and communicating diplomatically, even though things are stressful ordering your affairs, collecting your documents, starting to write up a list for the assets that you have and the liabilities, superannuation or any interest in trust and that sort of thing, and compiling that in a neat and efficient form to go in and talk to a solicitor who can then provide some preliminary advice and send an appropriately worded diplomatic first letter encouraging the other party to enter into a discussion about how to resolve. Because even though people feel at the moment that they're isolated and that they're alone and, you know, that's a lot for them to try and think about how they're going to get around and navigate their property matters, you know, 
for example, when we have people come to us, we try and build a relationship so that they can be heard and that we can prepare um, the information that they need so they're not alone in that process. And then if they're complicated matters, we normally seek advice of a barrister like yourself or someone else in the area. Um, because a team approach to resolving a property matter is also an important consideration, isn't it? Sure. And uh, obviously accountants as well. So for more complex work, a structures diagram from the accountant will assist in simplifying and understanding the basic financial structures and the roles that the parties play in them, along with access to some documents which give some insight into the quantum or figures involved. So certainly a collaborative approach to resolution of property matters is, is the norm. That's right, and a collaborative approach is really important because it's not just about working with a lawyer or a barrister, but you're right, it's about the accountants and valuers, um, real estate agents, conveyances, so we can get a resolution that works for everybody. And I think one of the most important things that we want people to know is that even though it's a really stressful time with coronavirus um, and I guess everything's changing day by day, that there are still things that can be done for people if they're wanting to sort out their property matter. There's no doubt about about that. There's a lot of work and I, and I must say that the video format, for example, Teams or Zoom, is really a, a very effective way of receiving instructions and giving advice. It's a, it's a good substitute in the circumstances. It's quite highly effective. You, you get on board a lot of the content of uh, what's necessary to be conveyed. And obviously, uh, there are issues like taxation consequences of any settlement that, are, that that's proposed that would be the subject of some discussion with your lawyers and accountants. Thanks so much for chatting to us today, Ian. I'm sure that it was really insightful for everybody listening to hear some of your tips, to hear a bit more about resolving property matters in the current crisis. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening today. We hope you really gained some valuable insights about mediation, how to resolve your property matters. Just know that here at NLS Law, we're here to help you, assist you with mediation, assist you with your property matters, most importantly, helping you to uh, resolve your matter the best way that we can. So we're going to leave you with an inspiring quote from Sophie. And just some words to finish today. Believe you have untold strength and courage. You have what it takes. Never give up. We hope you can join us next week as we have some special guests on who are going to be chatting to us about arbitration and mediation. We'll be joined by His Honour Judge Harmon, uh, Mr Giles Coates, who's a local arbitrator and mediator, and Julie Carney from JK Resolutions will also be on the panel. So tune in.